Let's talk about talk, it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have something to share. No share with Dr. Dave. Welcome to another enlightening episode of the Knoll Share with Dr. Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Cornelius. This episode convened a panel of leaders to explore the generative leadership GAP tenets. GAP stands for Generative Adaptive Practice, GAP. Joining me are the following panelists, Adrian Terry, VP of Transformation and Lean Portfolio Management, Kemi Raji, Organization Coach and Trainer, Ed Utley, Enterprise Coach and Trainer, Lizzie Morris, Enterprise Coach and Trainer, Lena Morkback, Facilitator of Global Collaboration, Brandon Rains, Enterprise Coach and Trainer, Phil Zafreya, Enterprise Coach and Trainer, Nicole Rains, Marriage and Family Therapist. So, you know, I just want to say, you know, for all the attendees that are here right now, and even for the panelists, just uh, thank you for taking time out of your day to learn more about this generative leadership to thrive. And, you know, whatever questions that you may have, we have like a, a group of great people who have decided to uh, be on the panel, you know, and then so we'll, I'll give you more information about them as we go forward. So, you know, as a one of the places that I try to live is, you know, to have a sense of having a moment of gratitude. Um, so the things that I think about is like, you know, I'm grateful for patience and kindness, which translate to love. You know, I'm patience for peace and freedom and safety and partnership and resilience because, you know, there are many people, you know, who may not have those experiences at this point in time. Right. And so I'll, you know, if you can, if we could just send them some positive vibes and blessings, you know, for, for their daily lives, you know, um, it's just something that we need to to uh, keep in mind. So I just wanted to make sure everyone understands that and just be a bit more cognizant and aware of, of that moment of gratitude. Um, and so, you know, we use a, a a simple code of conduct with conduct with nalshare.org. And we, we just want to have the same thing. We want our patience and kindness. We want safety. We want partnership. Um, so we want to make sure that, you know, as we're throwing questions out, you know, that we're just caring for each other in this moment in time. Um, and I want to give some love to um, the sponsors for, for this event, which is nalshare.org and the Generative Leadership to Thrive course itself. And with that, I want to just uh, start introducing our panel members, right? And so Nicole Rains, you know, she's been kind enough. She's a licensed marriage and, and family therapist. And um, Nicole is a disruptor in the mental health space, uh, champion of relationship and wellness, and an and, and igniter of coping skills. And I was so excited to get to know her, you know, through her husband and be in her podcast and she has reciprocated and come on my podcast. So thank you, Nicole. So she's one of our panelists and she'll be talking about fun and joy. Um, and Lena more back Lena. I always want to call her Lena, but it's really Lena, you know, oh, she's an enthusiast. She's enthusiastic about expanding about how we meet, learn and collaborate in our remote and hybrid work environment. Um, Lena and I have had 
you know, I've had the pleasure of being on her 24 hour meetup, right? And talking about the future of work. So I'm just doing short intros because um, a lot of that information is, is available online and, and, and basically they could give some more as they're speaking as well. And then, you know, Adrian Terry, you know, is 20 years in leadership experience in the airline and auto finance industries. Um, and he's passionate about relationship between the strategy and execution and how leadership um, discipline sustains the flow of value in the organization. You know, really good stuff, you know, that we have here today. Uh, Kemi Raji is, is uh, an enterprise coach and trainer. And we have connected through our, our our passion for agile, our passion for education for students. So I'm really excited, um, you know, that she's here today. Um, and then Brandon Rains, I know he didn't come in as a panelist, but um, he's an he's a Brandon is an organization design and enterprise coach who has worked with public and private entities, both large and small. And I'll just promote him from, from being an attendee to being a panelist. So thank you, Brandon, for being here. And and uh, we have Phil Zofria, you know, um, started his career as a programmer. Um, we have spent the last several years working as co-collaborators of the client, you know, as, as enterprise coaches. Um, so I'm glad that he's here today. And, and then, you know, we have... Ed Utley, my homie, my buddy that we've been hanging out a lot with. Um, and so he has been doing some really good work, you know, um, in terms of as an enterprise coach and as a trainer. And um, you could also read his background. So I have to bring my friend Brandon Rain in. Sorry, Brandon, uh, promoter panelist. <laughs> Let's make sure that he could get on. Okay, Brandon is in. Let's see. Let me fix. All right. Good. So, you know, now that Brandon is here, you know, he's also a pit master. And, and we love the fact that, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he makes some really good yummy stuff to eat. So, look, I'm going to go ahead and set the stage um, so that um, you could have an understanding of you know, what generative leadership is. So I'm just going to share my, my screen for a second here. And uh, you're going to have to bear with me that I'm going to use a, uh, a PowerPoint slide, but that's what I have today, right? Um, and and so I, I'm just going to start with the conversation about just my leadership journey, right? Um, and I'll speak to it from the context of scholarship practitioner, kind of learner context, right? So from a scholarship perspective, you know, I have a doctor in management and org leadership. So I've studied leadership for a very long time, published a thesis, um, talked to the value of Scrum to organization that's available out in Ether, uh, lots of articles that I have published in Forbes. So I've been studying leadership for a very, very long time. And as a practitioner, you know, founded several companies and been in different leadership roles. One of my key passions is Five Saturdays, which is an initiative that I started to help high school students learn about leadership. Um, learn about coding, about ag ag agile, uh, and then also I've had several corporate leadership roles. But then also a as a learner, right? I mean, I'm always in community, you know, attend conferences, podcast, um, read lots of books, have lots of conversation with these beautiful, bright people that we have, you know, present today. And and then also I've written several books about leadership in different ways. The latest is 
generative leadership um, to thrive. So that's kind of like my context around being engaged and involved, you know, in, in leadership itself. But when, we, when I think about generative leadership and the context, yeah, so my definition of what that means is a human-centered practice focused on co-creating the conditions for people and teams to thrive. That's my definition. Um, and when I look at some of the industry leaders and what they've been saying about it, you look at Peter Sanj, who is really big into learning organizations. Um, he, he is really big into uh, systems thinking. So he's talking about let's build learning organizations where leadership and members are participating. And then look at Margaret Whitley and look at her books. And she, in her book, she said, leadership and the new science, learning a century of, of uh, complexity, learning any century of complexity. So what she's talking about is self-organization, emergence, and co-creation, right? And I, I think we're beginning, hopefully you're beginning to see a theme here. And we look at Ron Westrom, and you look at, at some of the stuff that he has written, um, the topology of organizational culture. So he's talking about high-performing organizations. And you know, Satya Nadella, who is the CEO of uh, Microsoft, you know, when he said when he got to Microsoft, he goes like, we just need to change the way things are. And so our people could be more engaged, empowered and inspired teams. And then the Boston Consulting Group, you know, they had a little thing that talks about leaders want to leave the world a better place. Right. And so you can see there's a theme here about human centered practice of really creating these awesome conditions for people on teams to thrive. That's the whole context about generative leadership. And why would we even care about this, right? And I tried to, to pull, pull the lens back and say like, let's look at the evolution of leadership. And let's look at the evolution of leadership through the different industrial revolutions that we have had, right? We've had four so far. And right now we're in the fourth, right? which is, According to many industry leaders, they thought it started in about 2016. So it's been around for about roughly about eight years, in, in, according to them. And so what we get in this fourth industrial revolution is, you know, AI, you know, which is a big topic globally. We have machine learning, robotics, you know, these cyber physical systems of things that we could wear. You know, so that's one aspect of what's taken place and that's shifting the way, the future of way and even the way we work today. Um, and then we think about how many generations are actually in the workforce, right? Um, you have baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, and we all have a different way of how we want to lead or we want to be led, right? And, and, and so there's a lot of, you know, conversations around what's happening here and the need for a shift in, in the way we lead people. But then also we look at the VUCA context, you know, things have been volatile, uncertain, complex dealing with, you know, a lot of ambiguity in the process as well. You know, how will we lead in this space? And one of the things that I'm saying is like, let's, you know, the great man theory has been around forever, right? We're, we're beginning to see a resurgence of that with a tremendous amount of authoritarianism that's happening in the world. And so I said, let's have less of that. We need less of that in this time with these different generations, the amount of complexity and certainty that we have the different systems that we're working in. And let's amplify more of um, this generative leadership practice, right? Which is more human-centered and um, something that's really good for us. Um, so one of the things I wanna jump forward in is that we're going to 
Let me give you a little bit more context as well, right? When we think of generative leadership, I say that it's rooted in this habit and this practice called Ubuntu, right? Um, and, and so when I think of Ubuntu, I think of it as that I see you, I value you, I welcome you. That's the context that I see you, the, the way Ubuntu is defined, because it says, I am because you are, I am because we are. So it gives us a sense of belonging as a practice. So when I think of Ubuntu, this is how I translate it, that I see you, I value you, and I welcome you. Then the other aspect that I've defined to make sure that Ubuntu is something that we could really lean into as business leaders is that, you know, that we have patience and kindness. And it's exactly what I was talking about when I started, is that we have patience and kindness, we have safety, there's some resilience, and there's partnership. This is the other aspect of Ubuntu, the way that I've, I, I've defined it. And, and the reason why all of this makes sense, right? The reason why all of this makes sense is that when we go from that big macro, from the fourth industrial revolution, the lens, and we come down to our organizations, what we're looking at is trying to navigate these three layers of leadership. And the way I think about them is that we have a foggy top, right? Trying to find clarity in the cloud, right? We have a fluid middle. Some people want to call it the messy or frozen middle. I'm saying they're trying to align strategy to execution. And then there's a flexible bottom, right? This is where you have all of the emergent leaders hanging out, the innovation teams hanging out, and they're ready to build the next generation. What generative leadership can do for an organization is that now we could have more adaptive strategies, a bit more flexibility in how we do things. We have adaptive operations, right? So all of the things we were talking about, agile and lean and these different principles, this actually applies. Gives us an opportunity to deliver value frequently and in a very positive way. And then the great benefit realization that we spend time trying to figure out. Um, so I wanted to just give you that context as we're walking through what is generative leadership, why we need it, how many people are out there saying like this is the way to go after COVID um, and in this new new world order. So I'm going to stop sharing because I am going to uh, harass my panelists and and they're uh, you know I have a series of questions for them and and they're going to uh, enlighten us with how brilliant they are they are. So let me find these questions that I am going to serve up uh, for our panel members. <clears throat> Good. So uh, panel members, are you guys ready? You know, I, I hope I've, you know, created, set the stage for people to understand why we even care about this uh, generative leadership to thrive practice. So I, I kind of set an order here and Adrian, and let me just do this too. I'm going to throw uh, the question in the chat as well, so that just that we have it. Uh, and so everyone could, yep. All right. So Adrian, you know, so you could read it, you could hear me, you know, as a leader, um, just describe when you witnessed the transformative power of an abundant mindset, you know, creating this culture of generosity, collaboration, innovation. You and I talk about this. Um, and just share a pivotal moment where you embody the generative adaptive practice of abundance minds of the abundance mindset. 
Um, so why don't you just give us some context about about that? Yeah, so uh, the first part of, I think, your question, um, uh, describing a time when I witnessed the transformative power and abundant mindset um, in a senior leadership meeting within an IT department, um, the issue really had to deal with de- dealing with the dissenting voices, right? Uh, I remember the, the the chief leader in that space um, had already achieved general consensus about a course course of action that needed to be taken on a very sensitive issue. And uh, whereas most leaders might avoid getting the opinion from those who might oppose a directive like this, this leader sought out the dissenting voice to ensure that all sides of the issues were discussed. So you had that amazing slide uh, with the Ubuntu principles, I belong, I see you, I value, I welcome you. This is a leader knowing that certainly he was gonna make the decision based on the general consensus, but he still wanted even the dissenting voices to be heard. So I just really love that slide. I think it resonates well with that particular instance. And I just saw that the the psychological safety at that level of leadership was better than what I thought before I joined that that department, that team. So I was very, very impressed by that. Other, Other senior leaders might not even swing the microphone that direction to give them time to even speak their thoughts, but that was not the case in this instance. So I'm grateful that I can be part of that. Me personally, uh, sharing a pivotal moment when uh, I hope I embody this thought of generative um, leadership. I remember having a meeting with my team about a year ago, and we were having a general conversation about the importance of relationships. Everyone here on the panel, everyone attending the session probably is aware of this, but one, you never know, where you're going to have to work again with someone you're at odds with today. And two, whether you know it or not, you're always interviewing. So in both scenarios, as I told them, relationships are everything. So what I did was I encouraged the team to try and exercise. I told them to think of someone that they've had a rough decision, uh, I'm sorry, discussion with lately. And maybe that relationship is not as positive as it should be. Um, I asked them all to consider reaching out to the individual and doing something in the form of, hey, you know, our last conversation wasn't the most constructive or positive, and I want to do what I can to help us communicate better. Can we start over and see if we can land in a better place with that issue? So the whole point of the exercise was trying to restore kind of that psychological safety between the two individuals. Um, And think in terms, I think you had this on one of your slides, think in terms of we and not I. Right. Uh, no, no man or woman is an island unto themselves. So my logic is that uh, healing and individual relationships can eventually spread into the broader organization. And that was the whole intent of that exercise. They were reluctant. A few of them took me up on the offer. Um, others chose not to. But that's OK. That's OK. Hey, you did your part, man. You did your part. And, you know. Lena, thank you for being so courageous. Um, and I'm going to throw that in the chat. You said you're going to stick a step in for, for Lizzie. I, I think she's, she couldn't make it today. So, um, Adrian, you talked about we instead of I. And the way I translate we is to be willing and enabled. And so, Lena, you know, at the heart of generative leadership is the whole concept really trying to empower individuals to contribute their unique talents and perspective. So, 
share a little, you know, about your experience and your context with, you know, that idea of like, focus on we, willing and enabled. So uh, I could see on the agenda that Lizzie wasn't here. So I just kind of jumped in. So it wasn't really what I prepared for, but uh, <laughs> I'm happy to jump in. Uh, also, because I think that we, for the work that I do, is typically where I always, like, I feel very, uh, very excited and very passionate. I think the we is what shapes the culture of a team or the culture of organization. And similar to what, Adrian was just uh, sharing with his story, role modeling of invitation, or especially role modeling of the kind of language that we put out there. So as generative, generative leaders, and that being if, if we are in a position where we have the title that's going to show the organizations that we're leaders, or because we're just stepping into a, a holding space, uh, or having some sort of a leader approach within our team, if we have that title or not. I don't I think it's 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 how we're showing up, right? Um, but I think the 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 power of our language, if we're just going with we instead of like I think this and this, and be like, how could we go about solving this issue? What kind of um, things do we need to have in place? I'm seeing this, but what do we need? Like simple questionings around just putting we in our language, and then also putting we in our practices and we in our practices becomes like um what agreements do we need to have in place uh, for us to have a psychological safe environment for us right like what collaborations agreements do we want to shape together so um where i've seen this in most most powerful and actually dave you were just saying that our mentioning that our overlap was through the 24-hour um future of work uh, space where we uh, put together a conference that ran remotely for 24 hours around the globe. Uh, and those circle teams uh, were very much uh, uh, enhanced by this, like we are enabling you to run with what's relevant for you as a team. You have this amount of um, time through the event that you're gonna shape. And then we just, with coaches empowered that team to do that, but on no other strings attached to what that was going to look like. So coaching, supporting uh, that sense of we through language and um, space uh, to actually move forward with those actions. You know, that is so that is so excellent. Um, the way you brought that forward. So, you know, that kind of like just brings us into the other conversation with, with Kemi Raji, right? And, you know, when we focus on, on we, we're also talking about win and lose as a team. So I'm going to drop her question also into the chat. Um, and, and so, Kemi, you, you know, we, we have had time just to do a podcast, pretty much just to, to let everyone know, everyone on, on the panel has done a podcast with me, except Lena. And, and Lena, you and I are going to have to get together and get a podcast going about one of these subjects, okay? She's the only one who hasn't been in, on the podcast, but going back to Kemi Raji, you know, when you're talking about em embracing this generative adaptive practice of win and lose as a team, um, we talk about shifting from individual accomplishments to the collective. So how does this experience shape your approach to, you know, team resilience and growth oriented feedback? 
Yeah, and um, I read that book that uh, Dr. Dave wrote, and it's fantastic. And I did a little bit of research as well on the uh, uh, generative leadership, which is awesome. And, and I think it lends itself to coaching, which is what we kind of like try to uh, promote within the organization. And it's not coaching to go and tell people what to do, but actually be interested in them. You know, uh, understanding what they are doing outside of work. Not that you're intruding their private life, but we 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 try to say we uh, we have our work life and then we have our personal life, but they kind of like overlap as well. You know, so being interested in that person, being interested in your team, and how their vision, personal vision, aligns to the organization vision. It's always important so that way when you work together as a team you know that person is happy within the team and within the organization and whatever they are also experiencing uh, when it comes to the negative side of things you're also uh, involved in it so winning and losing as a team together is having a common goal aside of uh, what the uh, corporation uh, goal is. So you've been asked to be on a project. Great. What are your aspirations as well as you work on this project? It's very important for leaders to know uh, so that when people ask for more work or ask for more interesting things that it could do, it means that they are fulfilling the corporate uh, um, goals and strategic goals as well as fulfilling their own personal goal. I remember us uh, uh, when I worked on a, a project some years ago. Uh, it was a federal government uh, job, and we were uh, trying our job out uh, in so much trying out that the government uh, wasn't interested in our job, but this organization were very keen. So it was their first uh, project to Agile as well, and they wanted to turn into a project, uh, not a project, but a product which they could sell out. And... Um, so as they try to navigate that, uh, there was a lot of pressure on the team. Uh, there was a lot of pressure uh, from uh, the, uh, the government work. So we had to kind of like balance expectations, uh, but at some point it didn't work uh, because we, with the time come to deliver, they weren't ready. So it was so demotivating for the teams that were working on it. Uh, but the leaders were so great as well because every week they will bring everybody to one room and say, what? is going on? What are you struggling with? What are we struggling with? And how can we move forward? So they were listening every week or constantly uh, to the team and getting feedback. And based off that, we not only uh, were successful in delivering the core part of that project, they also took on some of the other uh, provinces uh, work as they were doing it because they not had something to show uh, for uh, it wasn't perfect, but it was just brilliant how the leaders were very great in incorporating people's feedback and people's opinions and thoughts around that, and it made the team to work. It was stressful, but um, people were happy at the end of the day. Yeah, you um, that's so beautiful, right? As we go uh, from focus on we willing and enabled into win and lose as a team. You know, this is another key important aspect of this generative adaptive practice that we're bringing forward is that 
Now we're going to talk about we trust you to achieve our goals, right? Which is a really important aspect. And, you know, Phil Zafria, you know, he's going to give us some insights on that. So when we talk about emphasizing the empowering individuals to take ownership and drive results through trust and autonomy, you know, um, Phil, I know you have some great experiences, you know, of how you have helped teams and supported co-help to co-create an environment where there is trust and you are creating that space for people to achieve their goals. Give us some insights, you know, about how you've done that. Yeah, thanks, Doc. A uh, couple stories I have. One, though, in particular, was a company where I was hired, uh, new hire as a director of IT. And I had inherited several development teams. And the previous director had a much different leadership style, um, gave directives, right? Everybody was get their orders, their marching orders. Um, and the people really, did, they didn't get to think for themselves. Uh, and things moved really slowly. Uh, me coming in was a big change. <laughs> we practiced all the generative leadership tenets that you were touching upon before. But maybe maybe I should step back a little, though. Um, in this scenario, you just don't walk in the door and say, I trust you to achieve your goals, right? It, it's you're you've got you've got everything from the beginning new. And this I think a lot of people, you know, in establishing relationships, when you come in to a, a new position or a new company, this is the way it works. And there's a lot of groundwork to be done and trust needs to be achieved. And the number one thing I started with was communication, because without communication, there can't be any trust, right? And work and non-work, I think, as someone just said before, uh, and whatever you talk about, you behaviors have to back that up. And relationships are everything. A person doesn't exist in isolation. We've talked about that, too. Um, and the second thing I went into was to evaluate and discuss competency. Because if you're a leader, without competency, there can't be any trust either. So I used a particular, when I first went in, I used a particular activity or tool. Um, and maybe I'll try to put a number of the, the tools and activities I've used, I'll try to put them in the chat for everybody. So I think just throwing those words out there, right? We can grab hold on and look them up. But I use this uh, competency matrix. And basically, you just list the people's, uh, uh, you list the skill set you need on the left, the people's names on the top. And then you have a column that says, uh, I need this many low level, this many medium level, this many experts for this particular competency. And then you work with everybody to fill out that matrix. And this is vulnerability right from the start because people are saying, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a low, I'm a, I'm a medium, I'm, I'm an expert. So if you can get that done and everybody's communicating even on that level already, that's, that's uh, you know, a big win you know, right off the bat. So I usually start there and then we go through, obviously this is an incremental uh, and iterative thing and we increase our behaviors and practice you know, what we need to practice. In my case, eventually, they could make their own decisions. And we've heard before, make decisions where the information is. And as I said, some of the activities I used was the competency matrix, I'll throw that in there. There's this thing called delegation poker, uh, celebration grid, uh, moving motivators. And I'm sure everybody's seen the video, Greatness by uh, David Marquet. So that's something too. But anyway, I'll throw these things out there because this is stuff as a leader that 
that you, I think you can leverage. But anyway, the point came when I was able to trust my teams to get the work done and they trusted that I would support them and had their best interests at heart. And wouldn't, wouldn't a noticeable increase in pace. Politics was minimized. Red tape was minimized. Innovation sprang up with their newfound autonomy. And one of ex example of that is, you know, at this time in history, what I'm talking about was this team, uh, this organization, I should say, had silos still, right? We had a development area, QA area, right? And on and on and on. So one of the developers actually said, we're working on this big dashboard, management dashboard project. And one of the developers actually said, hey, we need, we need to help QA with this product. There's just too much for them to test. And I think we were talking about before, right? You just broke down individualism, right? Um, you know, and, and everybody got on board and they got together and they tested everything, you know, both the developers and, and the QA working, working together. It was just huge, huge otherwise, which at that time in history uh, of this company was, was a big, big win. So um, that was the one that I wanted to share with you. And I'll also put those activities in the, in the chat. So appreciative, Phil, of giving that information. You know, so as we go through the conversation as a leader, you know, and of how we're, we're navigating, you know, the organization, right? we start off with the abundance mindset, focus on we, win and lose as a team. We trust you to achieve our goals. Now we're going to bring, you know, Pitmaster, you know, and he knows who I'm talking about, Brandon Rains. And we're going to say partner and have conversations to learn more. So let me go ahead and uh, put, put that out there and, and talks about, you know, the ability to cultivate meaningful partnership and relationships. You know, Brandon, I, I put his question out there, but, you know, I know he has some really beautiful stuff to say. So what say you, Mr. Pitmaster today? I should tell a story about making brisket now or something. <laughs> I will not. <laughs> that's another, that's another panel discussion. <laughs> um, well, gosh, uh, first, let me just say thank you for being here with everybody and the, and the wisdom uh, that's been provided. Uh, I, just, I, I feel like I just want to build on, on things that have already been shared. Um, I think as, as it's already been said, relationship is so important. And it took me a while to understand that, quite frankly, um, whether or not that was in uh, when I was as a software developer or as I started coaching. And it was, I don't know if it was one moment, but I think it was one of those, um, a lot of different moments where I started working and working with teams and figuring out, you know, I'm actually surrounded by a lot of really smart people who come into work every single day excited about what they want to do, that they have a lot of mastery in what they actually do. Uh, and what I started to see, the patterns I started to see was, you know, the, the relationships were kind of getting in the way or unhealthy relationships were, were getting in the way. And there wasn't a lot of clarity about things. And once we started having those kind of, con or I should say, once I started to realize that, um, and then oddly enough, I guess if there was one event it was one of those things where, I don't know, came into my head, maybe I walked into a room and got reminded about the manifesto. And one particular line in the manifesto when it was like the first line, basically, well, I guess it's technically the second line, but individuals and interactions. 
And it was one of those like, oh my God. <laughs> That's not the word I actually use. I won't use the word though it is. It's not uh, nice for mixed company. But it was it was just one of those eureka moments. I'm like, yeah, that's it. And I think it's no no accident that it is very high in the manifesto. Individuals and interactions. Yeah, that's it. Let's do that. And I think it was just a, a matter of just starting to have conversations with groups and saying, well, you know, and and I would say I had the fortune of taking some some really good professional coaching. Um, uh, training through CTI and ORSC, and it, it just it felt like it just kind of coalesced. And just by having conversations with folks and asking them, well, you know, how do you want to work together? What's getting in your way? What do you need from each other? What can you commit to as as you work together? And just those kind of questions, it it the reactions that I started to hear were, gosh, I never really thought about that. That's an interesting question. Let's think about that a little bit. Maybe even let's write some of that stuff down. Let's revisit it, that, whether or not it's in a retrospective or whenever we thought it was necessary. And uh, I think the cool thing that I started to observe as a result of that is people started to light up. Uh, and it, was, it felt like it was one of those just missing pieces. Because again, these are smart people, <laughs> you know, smart, motivated people, which is always a really, really cool thing. Uh, and so I think it's made the difference for me and it, it allowed me to think back of when I'm on, when I am on teams or when I've been on the, the best teams that I've, I've worked on, that's the kind of stuff that felt really good. That's the kind of stuff that felt like, yeah, I want to go to work today. I want to go work with these people. I want to have, you know, either professional or personal relationships with these people. And it just, it, it made the day much, much better. So when stuff sucks, <laughs> you know, because they will suck. Uh, it becomes a, a, just a much more enjoyable thing. That's like I, I got I got my people around me, and you know we'll figure it out. We'll make it less sucky because we've got a, a group of people who who are there with us every single day. Um, yeah, that's so beautiful. You know, thank you so much, Brandon. And, and I, I want to encourage the attendees to use the Q and A. You know, you look Q and A. Um, button at the bottom of your screen in zoom as you're listening to each of the different panelists and you have a question you know just go ahead and put in the q a um section and right after we're done introducing these concepts then we'll be able to start answering you know your questions i i see one out there from my friend from you and so we spot to that later so you know one of one of the things is is that as we're focusing in teams and the leadership mindset is like we also have to do experimentation because we're talking about innovation right run the experiment evaluate the hypothesis and so um lena is gonna take that on and talk about and, and share something more about you know the type of experimentation that she has um been involved with some of the successes and failures so Go for it, Lena. Thank you. Um, I'm kind of starting where Brandon started also, like because I think there's I want to comment on a lot of things that's already been in this space. Um, I'm loving how it's even though we didn't prep together, it's almost like this panel is just like we're just building and building and building on each other, right? Like the the we, the collaboration, the power of being being in those relationships. Um 
uh, modeling certain behaviors, inviting in for those connection pieces. That's like a red thread through all of this that we are that we're talking about, which is really a kudo back to the whole framework, Dave, right? That you've created that how these things are linked as we're talking about them. So I'll be happy to to talk about the experimentation piece, like why is it important that we run these kind of experiments? What can be the um, what can be powerful and and actually the example I want to pull in is actually also how I saw it was essentially necessary for this organization to really uh, feel that they were uh, they were in it together. So that's where I think experimentations also can can be really powerful. And then that's looping back to the whole like we win and lose as a team, and that becomes that becomes like a sense of team building in itself, right? Um, so again, all these are are connected. Um, but when you ask me to come up with an example, uh, what really stood out to me was uh, some client work I did uh, last uh, like in the spring. Um, that was around uh, supporting a more fluid and and productive hybrid work. So this was an organization that was that before the pandemic had very much gotten was very defined. Its culture was very defined around the physical space that we go to work and do our work in. So when the pandemic hit, they of course had to do uh, remote work and and um, they did that. Uh, but as many organizations, they were they were able to be fairly productive doing that, but the collaboration and the interlinked was just disappearing. Like there was a lot of, I'm doing this, I'm heads down, I'm going to get my tasks done. Um, but the sense of the team, the sense of us as an organization. So then after the pandemic, the organization is like, we're going to now do hybrid um, because people want that flexibility that they had during the pandemic and working remotely. Uh, but we also want to uh, get that sense of ourselves being together um, in the team. Let's be better at doing hybrid. And they uh, uh, were not very good at it. <laughs> and then they actually I got pulled in. They're like, how can we tell us what to do? And I was like, well, I'm not. We got to figure out what's going on in this organization. And that what there was a mandate. Now we're going hybrid. Right. So the whole organization has already like was pushing back. So it's like, I'm not going to be the one in to, to go in and put other mandates on about how you're going to do this work. Like, that's the last thing. Um, so. I will do the work with you if we're going to go in and, and do some experimentations. Let's plant some seeds. Let's figure out what these teams need and what they're ready and curious to actually uh, um, explore around hybrid work. Where are their needs in terms of getting better at doing this hybrid work? Um, what are they not willing and or curious to do because they got burned through the pandemic? Uh, do they even have a good sense of what hybrid is? A lot of them was like, we're actually equalizing hybrid with remote it was like no, no no hybrid is that when we actually have opportunities to be uh, in person but what's the what's our in-person ratio what's our rhythm of being in person and when do we do things uh, remotely so what we did was to had uh, started a hybrid lab where each team were exploring different things that they want to experiment with. And some of the things that came up was um, experimenting on uh, what's our frequency of that in-person rhythm. As a team, how often are we going to be? Is that every Thursday? Is it three days a week we're in person? Like what works with us, but on team basis, not the whole organization. Uh, so they're experimenting with that. They were also experimenting with 
their uh, meeting facilitation because one of the hardest thing about hybrid is actually the hybrid meeting. It's a messy forum. So they were rotating facilitations, different people coming in and testing that forum so they could learn from each other, figuring out what works for us, different temperaments, different uh, facilitation styles was working in that. Um, and another thing, there also were, uh, they were experimenting with a lot of things, but another thing I want to point out, they're experimenting with asynchronous tools because how can we really piggyback on the on the hybrid when we're some of us, sometimes we're synchronized together, but what's the power of us actually collaborating, getting a sense of each other when we're asynchronized together? So the experimentation portion was that each team got to take apart the pieces of hybrid that was most relevant for them, mess around with them in a safe container, and then, evaluate back to Brandon's, he was talking about retros, right? Reg, going back and looking at what worked here, what are we not gonna do ever again? What pieces do we wanna rebuild on? And then as an organization, they started building a catalog of like, yes, what is hybrid for us? What works for us? So that's where the experimentation was very powerful. Uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that because I, I know it's a thing right that people are fighting with the hybrid model after working remote after covid itself um and so out of that you know the question that you you know you run the experiment you evaluate the hypothesis is like, what did we learn from failure to grow um and i know ed and i talk about a lot of these things um in terms of failures and successes and um that Let's talk about, you know, when, you know, generative leadership, we talk about emphasizes learning from setbacks and embracing failure as an opportunity for growth. What say you about this context? Hey, thanks, Dr. <clears throat> As I was thinking through this, I kind of, I went back to probably, was probably my first full-time uh, opportunity is a uh, Scrum Master Agile coach for a company um, from a friend of mine, actually, who was a, a CTO, CIO guy brilliant dude. And he had introduced me to these concepts. I had spent 20 years in automotive uh, engineering up in the Detroit area. And I was a partner in a company. And, and uh, when I left there 10 plus years ago, I was real just discouraged by just corporate America, how it just used people, burned them up and then threw them out. And I was like, man, I'm just done with corporate America. And I'm just so frustrated. Moved down here and I bought into a partnership with some other guys and anyways, made friendships with this friend of mine. And um, I was asking him some questions. How do I do some of this stuff with some of my employees and this and that? And he started telling me about this crazy scrum agile stuff. And so I started trying these little things at, at my company with employees and, and had no idea at all what I was doing. And anyways, there were some real positive things that happened. I was like, that's crazy. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And yet the people are happy. And so um, not too long into that, um, my partners made a decision. They went in another direction and I left that. And uh, my friend, uh, the CIO guy, he says, hey, so anyways, I've got this thing. I've just hired on to this, to this company. They want me to come in. Uh, they're private equity owned. And at first I'm like, I've done private equity owned companies. I don't want to do another one. He goes, no, no, no. Just listen to me. Goes, we had a new CEO. He's brought me in. He wants me to do this stuff to get uh, these new technologies out there. And uh he says, what I really need is, is a, a, you know, a scrum master uh, agile coach to come in and do this. I said, Brian, I don't know anything about software. I come out of this world. I don't know anything about how you build software. He goes, I got really smart people to do that. I don't need you to do that. I need you to come in and help me 
change this place, you know? Um, and anyways, throughout a conversation, I ended up going there and, and um, it was my first time I'd really witnessed a chance to see a generative leader and, and how it wasn't just talk. He really, I mean, to his death, I mean, he, he believed this stuff and he had data and facts to prove that it worked. And um, so he's like, we need to change the mindset of these people. They're really beaten down. They've watched, you know, different leadership teams just come in, basically survive until the board, you know, tossed them out and brought in new ones. And so it was very, it was kind of like some public companies where they have to perform every quarter. It's just like, you know, we're just changing people out. And he's like, we've got a short amount of time to change things. And so I jumped in and, and I said, I went to him, I said, so can I run some experiments? And, and he's like, I want to do this thing. He goes, do it. I'm like, I know, but it could cause you problems. He goes, do it. <laughs> I'd never had somebody have that kind of trust and faith in me um, that I was tech, or I was potentially going to be doing things with their teams that could get him fired, you know? And he, he just, the place he came from, from heart and trust and, and belief, he just empowered me. And it was, it was the funnest experience because I got to go in and just work with all these brilliant, super smart people. Um, but they just didn't know how to work together. And so, you know, he just, he, you know, through our leadership team, he started giving us all kinds of books on becoming better leaders, Lencioni stuff. And, and just really, you know, he was, con, you know, encouraging us, you know, continually change your resume and put it out there and then go take uh, interviews at other companies. And we're like, what? He goes, because not only does it help you to become better at your thing, but he goes, if I'm not doing a good job as a leader, then I don't deserve to keep you. And I'm like, that's crazy talk. I'd never heard a leader talk like this, but it kind of set this example for how I led and how I've worked with the teams and, and, and going into this whole idea of how do you touch failure? And these people were afraid to, to, to get anywhere near a landmine because they'd watch what happened to other people. And so it was really fun to just start changing that mindset of let's fail with some stuff. Let's see what works and what doesn't. And then when they could see nobody got blown up, nobody got fired or anything like that, they started pressing in and going, okay, I can try this stuff. And it just became like this innovation hub, people trying things, reaching in, leaning, uh, challenging each other. And um, it was really powerful to see. It changed me from when I left there to going forward of that, now I just like, I just want to work with people that want to be generative leaders. You know, when I had a chance to work with guys like Adrian Terry and people, Phil and these other people and just watch how they just, they just breathed it with everything they did. I was like, man, that is what I want to help people do. So that's just, that gets me all excited. I'm all fired up right now. So that's hey, it. That's, that's beautiful, man. That That's beautiful. The way you bring that. Elizabeth is here. I'm going to let her in. Just let everyone know. Um, but we're going to go to Nicole Rains. Um, and when I think of someone who, when we're talking about fun and joy, it's something that, you know, I added to these tenets because I thought it was really important that, you know, yeah, we trust you. We, we provide, co-create these environment, but what about fun and joy, you know, that we could really begin to appreciate each other and really demonstrate that. So, um, so, um, Nicole, you know, what song rocked your world today? <laughs> um, uh, Blinding Lights by a local D.C. group known as Black Alley. Uh, that, All right. That was the song that is repeating in my, my head today. <laughs> That's really great. So, 
you know, generative leadership, you know, we talk about the power of fun and joy and kind of fostering creativity, engagement, and a thriving work environment. I mean, share some experiences about that. Sure, Dr. Dave. Um, thank you for having me. And just hearing how each tenant and the practices involved with them, it really is looking at how do you create a space in which joy and fun can exist. And all of the tenants that everybody else has talked about are actually creating that environment. Um, so really looking at that, that linkage. Um, so I used to work at a nonprofit and we did intensive work based upon trauma. And so when I talk about that, people were like, oh, I can only imagine what the workplace was like. But what happened is our boss created a committee. She used to refer to me as a reluctant leader. I ended up being a co-chair on that committee because I, I had so much work and so did my colleagues, but that committee was actually in charge of joy and fun, but you cannot force fun upon people. That is not fun in and of itself. So what we did is we looked at, okay, what do people want to do? We have this committee. What are our strengths? How can people show up in a really authentic and um, intentional way by showing their strengths? So we had people teaching cooking lessons. It was an hour each Friday. Uh, some people did dance lessons. Some people did visualizations, which that one sounds more stereotypical to, to therapists. Other times we watched sitcoms. Uh, we taught people how to step, which is a traditional dance. Uh, it's from African boot dance, but it's also involved in the traditionally Black Greek letter organization. So we taught people how to step and just being able to have some movement in there. We did chair yoga. So we did all these things on that designated hour, but throughout the entire workday, we had a little box that was called the I just want to say box. And what that was is for people to be able to write out, they could either sign their name or um, be anonymous, just something that they wanted to share about a colleague or a coworker. And something as, you know, thanks for listening to me, or you did a good job. And having that continual spirit of recognition. So what we were doing is we were infusing and creating an environment where fun and joy could exist instead of thinking, oh, okay, well, it's a workspace. We have to be very disciplined. We have to be very serious all the time, but you need to be able to create that environment as, as well. Um, and I know on the podcast, Dr. Dave, I sh shared a very uh, personal professional example of working with uh, a child who it actually was my hardest case to date as a clinician and being able to be working on a very significant amount of complex trauma and taking a very model that's very based on steps. And how do I, how do, I do that? Where, where is room for that? And it was listening to the client and figuring out what the client wanted, having that collaboration with this child in order to take that, that model that was developed by an adult therapist and turn it into a flower garden. And each flower represented a different stage in the model and having a butterfly that was a visual representation of going through that. And I use that example because especially when we're talking about complex trauma, people don't think they're like, oh, well, there can't be any kind of joy there. But by collaborating and listening to the client, and joining with that light that was within, we created some joy in that very dark space of being able to move through that. And just recognizing that as we, again, listen to all the tenants and put them together, 
that we can, can create this space of joy and fun where they can exist. Not that we're gonna come in and say, oh, this is what we're doing for fun. Um, and that we're gonna look at and listen to uh, our staff and to our team members and to our clients and being able to do that. And that's what each tenant has already talked about. So Dr. Dave, I feel like the framework by itself actually creates an environment where fun and joy can exist. Man, talking about how to bring that together, huh? talking about how to bring that together, man, that was beautiful. Um, I know Lizzie, you're here. I'm glad to see you. Um, but I wanted to answer just one question from you and O'Leary, you know? So let me see if I could copy. So he says, uh, let me throw this in here and I, in the, in the chat, you know, so he says, so I'm hearing lots of great experiences. What's the model that's that underpins this all? Of course I get Ubuntu and what else is under this? How does it fit together? So we've been talking about how this all fits together, but one slide that I didn't share and I intentionally didn't share this slide, um, that I'm going to sh just share this with you so that, um, we have a perspective of, you know, the tenants and the practices that we're, we're talking about um, over here. So th there was eight eight things that that came from a mixture of uh, Ron Westrom, Westrom, a mixture of Peter Senge, mixture of different other peoples that I've read throughout the years. Like I said, I've been studying leadership for a very long time and I've studied it at the highest level that you can. And and uh, so so these are the eight tenets of, of how it's going to guide you. And I call them the generative adaptive practice, right? Abundance mindset. Adrian gave us insights. Focus on we, um, uh, um, which uh, Lena stepped into, and we're going to give Lizzie a chance to talk about, you know, we trust you to achieve our goals, you know, which is very another important conversation. Win and lose as a team, partner to learn more, run the experiment. You know, what do we learn from failure and fun and joy? So each one of these tenants on, on the sits under this cohort course, it actually, I actually provide a way of how do you implement this, right? Because when we think of, of abundance mindset, what does that really mean? And I'll share that information later. But just to answer your question, Ewan, is that, you know, this is the model that underpins generative leadership to thrive, right? And if we could get through each one of, you know, man, if we could even do one of these in an organization, as you've heard from the panelists, um, there could be a lot of significant progress made within the organization. So um, does, does any of the panel members have anything else that they would like to contribute um, as a response to UN's question? Dr. Dave, if I could comment on that, if I could real quick. Yeah, brother, uh, go ahead. I love how you have um, how you have each of these eight areas here. Um, maybe not in this slide, maybe in some other presentations that I've seen you do, you also reflect on the um, head, heart, and hands. Yeah. And if you kind of sift through these eight, you kind of see that progression, right? These first couple are certainly in the head space, definitely in the heart as you start looking at three and four uh, into the hands when you think about partnership and running experiments. And there's a fourth H, uh, Dr. Uh, Dave, I don't know if you have it in any of your slides, it's called the habits. That's mm. the last piece. 
So the whole point of this is to introduce and to cement some better enjoyable experiences that are long lasting. And to me, that's what I see in seven and eight is kind of that fourth H, which would be habits, just some stuff I'm pulling from some um, leadership stuff that I'm also studying. So the whole head, heart, hands and habits, I just see it all over this page. I thought I'd throw that out there. Man, hey, thank you for that because um, you know, yeah, I just wrote an article for Forbes that's talking about the head, heart, and and hands. And now look at the look at this. I just learned something new. Habits, ah, love it. Anyone else? Love, go ahead, Ed. I was just going to say, <clears throat> Doctor Dave, um, for me, what kind of sets up the rest of of this of the GAP? It really starts with the abundance mindset and. It really wasn't until I met you that put that word to, I'd always had this thought in my head of how people should lead and act and as leaders and just kind of, but I never really had this word uh, abundance. Um, and when I think of abundance, um, it's just, it's such an awesome word that makes me happy, but abundance mindset versus the scarcity mindset. And I always use that example. Now when I'm talking to leaders is that um, the whole abundance mindset, it shifts everything in the way in which you look at people, the way you look at business, um, the way you look at competition, the way you look at, and, and if you're coming from a scarcity mindset, it's almost going to be impossible to fulfill the rest of, of, the, of the generative adaptive practice. For me, it starts with that person. So if we were almost looking from a place to start with, uh, kind of what Ewan's thing was, is is getting people to to kind of identify where they're at. And that's okay. If there's people that are just scarcity-minded people, I, okay, I get it. That's great. Are they the perfect fit in that organization? I don't know. There's a lot of places that maybe they thrive as a scarcity mindset. But if you're trying to change that thing into um, a generative practice of, across your board, I really just believe so strongly that it's got to start with that mindset of that there's enough here for everybody to all, let's all get to the top of the mountain and celebrate together, not kick each other down on the way up and then stand up there by ourselves going, see, I did it. I'm a self-made person. So anyways. I know Lizzie has something to say about that. So come on in. You got to get off mute though. I loved what you just talked let's about. Talk there talk, about talk, it. Talk, really let's talk, talk, talk. The concept of I've hit the mountain, but where's everybody else? And when you're thinking about corporations, anybody who's trying to hit the mountain by themselves, your corporation won't last because it is about the people who are making it work. And if we're all thinking in that sense of we can and we do have customers, even if you're in a space where you've lost customers before because, you know, we can think about COVID where so many businesses are in a very different space. But when you take on that abundant mindset, it's knowing that there are people waiting for our message, people who've been looking for our product. And those are the people that we're going after. So we're going to be the best to serve those people who we know are waiting. And what I love that is where we are right now, in, in business and everything, there is so much more openness to people talking about things like abundant mindset, about, um, you know, um, attracting things, manifestations, uh, affirmations. It's now become a thing because what's happened is 
when there was nothing, as in COVID shut down, the world you knew that you could grab from, when people had to navigate differently, people were able to start navigating through their spirit. And I know that can sound okey-fokey before, but that's exactly what it is, right? It's coming from within versus coming from without. And when organizations begin to breathe that way, understanding their within is their message and their tenants and the culture of the company, that's the within. And when they begin to work on that, the without starts to happen. So you've got, okay, here's where I'd like to take my organization. Here's how I'd like for us to be thinking. But how do I make that a reality? Well, what's the within of the organization? When we're looking at this whole framework of gap, right, generative active practice, what we're going to be able to do is start to allow organizations to build the spirit of their organization. And by doing that, we'll get to the place where we start to have habits, because if that's the atmosphere that you breathe and that's what you do, you inhale, you exhale, and that's what's happening all the time, this is going to become the norm because it's just the way we be versus the stuff that we do. And this is what this can bring into an organization. Finally, give them the ability to create the cultures they've wanted to create with the how to and the what to and the when to so they can do it. They can finally start to breathe together and become an organism, which is what we teach in our idle practices, right? That's what we're trying to do when we talk about get bigger and scale is become an organism. But how do you really do that from the inside? And I think that's what I'm excited about with this framework. It reaches inside and it's not just external. Man, you know, I, I am such a lucky man today to have all of these great voices, these great minds. Um, just pouring into to this concept and, and bringing your experience to uh, the forefront. So um, what else would you like to share about any of these practices? Because I, I was thinking, you know, we, we have a, a major challenge, right, in, in terms of how we allow generative leadership to support uh, business continuity to run and grow the business. Right. I mean, this is a thing. I don't care if your company's super large or super small, you're going to have a foggy top, right? Because there's a lot going on in the world around us. So we have to have what we talk clarity in the fog of how, how do we guide our business. So give some insights, you know, around how you would leverage generative leadership to either one of these layers. I don't want to call them levels, I call them layers, right? The top, middle, and and bottom. Feel free to jump in. Anyone, any one of our panelists. Go ahead, Lena. Okay, yeah, I was trying to find the actual hand to raise and as well as my hand to raise. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but uh, as I'm a, a big fan of open space and anything that's like co-created together uh, as uh, like as broadly within uh, within an organization, within a team, um, I, oh, I, I can't help myself to be like, if we want to add something to that foggy top and especially when it has to be adaptive because we don't know we and COVID have taught us that we can't see that far and we're we're a lot more humbled now in terms of when we're creating strategy of like well who knows right so our strategies are shorter or and they also need to be I mean I don't know who, how many are doing like you know five ten years plans They're like oh let's do two and three right like and then like revisit um 
But a place to also add to that foggy top is making sure that it's not just the top who's having that conversation, that, um, that we're inviting, and I was mentioning before in terms of like, well, that generative leadership is not just if you're having the title of a certain leadership position, but that to, I think it can be powerful for organization to add in techniques, uh, uh, um, containers to have those conversations broader out in the organization. Having a, a, having an open space, one or two day conference or a conversation within an organization that becomes part of the strategy for the organization or it becomes a place where the top is, is putting an ear to the ground. Like what is, what is our, what is our people saying? What is our organization feeling and sensing the, where the needs are? Like having the strategy reflection happening in, in all of the organization and not just in the foggy top and, and creating a space and, and patterns uh, uh, for that, I think can be extremely powerful. And uh, yes. I, so doc, I threw it in the comments, but uh, you know, just piggybacking on what Lena's saying, right. I'm a big fan of OKRs and uh, you know, so we get, to toss those things out there, we get to align uh, using using that. Uh, and a lot of things, you know, people look at OKRs, they think, okay, we have to do the top uh, objective and key results, right? We have to do the top, then the middle, the bottom, but it doesn't have to be done like that, right? We can kind of sync up and then we get good ideas a lot of times from, you know, from the bottom because in most instances, uh, engineers are probably the closest to the product knowing how to how it's done and understanding a little bit about the customer, uh, so I'm a big proponent of of that, and I think it can help a lot. Yep, thanks. Let's see if there's any other questions coming from. Um, let me stop sharing from a Q and A. Um, but, you know, we could just have open discussions, right? I mean, for the last few minutes that we, we, we do have uh, before we close the webinar is, you know, what are the thoughts that you have that we could leverage, you know, generative leadership or where else, you know, besides just the corporate space, right? Because this framework and this practice could be used if I'm running a community organization, right? Um, if I am an NGO. Right, for example, and we're providing aid in a specific part of the world. It's beyond just corporate America, right? So what are your thoughts about that? And this is just an open dialogue. Because I like to dream, and I will forever <laughs> be a dreamer, I would love for us to start seeing certain government entities taking on this concept. Um. And when I think about when I think about America and I think about how it has its hands in everybody's pot, it would be lovely if when it's putting its hands in, it was offering something like this. You know, letting people know you, you've existed. You may not have existed the way everybody thinks you should have existed, but there is an existence here and there is hope here that this country has of survival. So what can we do now to take it from where it is to where it can be? And I think if we could start to take these tenants 
and apply them to the things. Because I'm not saying corporations don't affect people because we know they do because that's how people earn their living, that's jobs. But the environment around you is affected, like the country you live in, the way it's governed, the way policies are put out, what, what the government cares about, what the government doesn't care about, what it thinks about its agenda, what it doesn't think about its agenda. Those things are the things that affect people, people, you know, everybody who's not working. What if we could start to make changes to that and empower people? So even when I go back and I think about we, right, people are willing to do the hard work in these countries to rebuild. People are willing to get their physical hands dirty. But what could we do as governments to put the skills in people's hands to help them, as I always say, to make that next best move? What could we do? Because it's not there's money. But what are you going to use the money to do? So if you equip me today to be able to take my hands and do different things with it, I can, you know, we say teach somebody to fish. They can eat for a lifetime. What are we going to do about those things? This is something I think we could be bringing to local councils of different countries and saying, think about this. Maybe it's education you start with, a platform for children everywhere to learn. So no child goes without education, right? Because that's the willingness. Do you want to be educated? Do you want your child educated? Even though your girls have never gone to school before because we didn't believe in sending girls to school. But are you willing to do that? Right. Well, yeah, we're willing to send our girls. Okay. well, let's empower you and let's equip you with teachers and let's give you an educational program to equip more teachers and give you spaces to educate. There are things that we can do with this thought process to begin to change the world we live in because it would just work, right? But like I said, I like to dream. Yeah, there's, yeah you know, it, there's a song in there, Lizzie, you know, that you could say, I'm just a dreamer, right? <laughs> I'm right there with you, Lizzie, that I was a dreamer. Um, and you were just mentioning education. And that's what I was thinking when we're looking at these. Uh, first of all, I love the model being not like a, a, a model with, with shapes, but literally a tree. And that also that, yes, there's numbers, but it's all just things that are that's rooted down. And it, I don't see this model as like it has everything has to follow each other. It's more like there is a there is root structures here and they're overlapping but it's down that soil and that's feeding things up uh, i do uh, see currently that the next generation someone who's a little bit younger than us here on this panel they're asking a different kind of questions uh, in terms of where they want to be hired what they're willing to to sign their life away in terms of the hours that they're spending in their work and they're asking for a lot of these things to be in place and i think that could dramatically shift where we are 10 years from now when that generation which is the new workforce are going in and just asking a different set of questions like well this is not good enough or this is not where i'm engaged to want to put in my work hours um and linking that with let's put more of 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 these kind of methods and techniques into our education system so that um so that the next generation after also knows how to ask these kind of questions and be in be in a space where they actually are self-organizing. Because when we do our, when we have our education system that's just top down, it's a muscle that that uh, our younger folks don't know how to like. If we put them into a place of like, well, then you guys figure out, ah, then they know how to do it. Well, 
that we need to change, right? Like, how do you self-organize? How can we empower that? How can we let them just, you know, like, Dave, remember the lab we were in just a month ago? Like, oh, let's yeah. just do half of the afternoon of this lab and doing lean coffee. Like, like, yeah. like let's just have those techniques and have our young people know how to do that set the agenda themselves be empowered to hold the conversation and guide them and distill from it like so yes i'm right there with you let's stream along lizzie you know and having four generations in the workplace right the boomers gen x gen y gen z um, that's going to create a, a set of challenges. Oh, it, it has already begun. You, you see it in the headlines of oh, the millennials and the this and the that. You know, how do we, that's why I say we need to amplify more of generative leadership so that we could harmonize these, these four different generations in this workspace. And it's not just work, but it's also within our community, right? You know, how do we harmonize that so that you know, we could start working toward a, a common goal of where we all could thrive, not just some. I want all of us to thrive. You know, that's what I'm all about. So any thoughts? Uh, Dr. Dave, I feel like I'm getting to witness the, the, har <laughs> the, the harmony. Um, so prior to going back to psychology, I actually went to law school and I'm a licensed attorney. And back when I was in law school, if someone told me that I would be doing well-being consultations within big law, I would have told them there is no way, but yet here I am. So it is to being able to dream and talk about that and listening to the generations that are coming forward that are like, yeah, I want a different space to work. And I, I use that as an example because there's a very stereotypical culture that people even think of when I say, big law, but the American Bar Association in 2017 challenged law firms and said, we're going to do different. We're going to do better. We're going to focus on well-being and bringing that in there. And a lot of that has been because of the younger generations wanting, because I don't, and we still use the term work-life balance, but it's work-life rhythm. You are only one person. You show up in all these spaces. You are the one person that occupies all these roles and if you're not well as that person it doesn't matter with the role so being able to have instead of these sharp differences but looking at how can you be well in all these spaces because there's just that one you has been phenomenal and seeing it happen within spaces that we traditionally would not think that would happen like in big law or even within the medicine right where long hours high achievement all those things are thought to be part of it, but hey, we can still high achieve and do it in a different way. So it's the dreamers and the talking about the dreams that leads to habits as Adrian has mentioned, and those intentional habits create this change that we are all talking about today. Yeah, go on, Brandon, you're it. Yeah, I'm, I'm struck by that concept of uh, having all of these generations working together in the workplace right now, because it reminds me of this concept that I, I, I learned about some years ago from this book, The Wisdom of Crowds. And mm. right in the concept, it underpins so much of what we talk about and coach and, you know, having cross-functional teams <laughs> and self-organizing teams. It, it's the same, right? But the idea is 
that there actually is a lot of strength in having folks with um, different voices, diverse voices, independent voices. And the trick is how do you aggregate all of that wisdom together? Um, because when you do, when you do harness it, it becomes stronger than you know experts in a particular field because you have it, it's such it's such a diversity of thought. So I think this is a real opportunity, you know, to figure out those who figure this out. And it goes well beyond just the generational thing. It's it's a cultural, it's a racial, it's a gender, it's orientations, it's all of those things. If you if we can if we can figure this out, gosh, it's it's an amazing kind of thing. And I've seen it happen in, in different and small aspects, but it's what we all at least I I continue to chase after it. That's wonderful. So Lizzie, let's go. And and then we only have a few more minutes before we close. So we want to be respectful of everyone's time. So Lizzie, let's hear, let's hear it from you. you you're so, like, you're, you're going to bring it home, girl. I, I, I mean, I listened to Nicole just talk about, you know, let's forget work-life balance because it's not a real thing. And, and the reason, you know, it's not a real thing is because it creates judgment, right? Because people define what balance should be, but she talked about it's more like a rhythm. And then I was just listening um, then to Brandon talking because I was thinking, you know, as I'm thinking about all these people and I'm thinking about the way we need to live versus the way we have lived and how it's going to morph and when everybody's coming together, what we're talking about is harmony, it's music, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things about music is it shifts and it changes genre, but it's still notes right but everybody puts the notes together differently and people tell the then put lyrics to it to tell their story so really what we're talking about right is understanding now that we are going to make music and the harmonies to get harmonies right everybody's got to tune into each other because if you have somebody trying to do harmony who doesn't listen to the other singer it, it's like what are you doing nobody's trying to hear your voice we're trying to hear harmony and harmony is not one person, it's everybody. And that's where the world is forcing because everybody's saying, well, you don't see me, but you don't see me, but you don't give me a voice, but what everybody's me, me, I don't see me. So, okay, let's, let's come together now. And this is one of the reasons why when you look on my LinkedIn profile, you see beautiful human. It's not because I think I'm great looking or anything, right? It's because the more and more I kept looking at everybody having to call themselves out and being forced to do this, to be respected. I said, well, why can't everybody just be respected for being a beautiful human? Because that's what we are first. That's what we are last, right? We are humans on this planet and we have got to learn to bring ourselves together. And it's the beauty of, we as agilists call it collaboration, right? But it's the beauty of everybody coming together. When you think about a tree and you think about roots, it's pulling dirt from lots of different things that have excreted, things that people have thought were messy or dirty or nasty. But it's being able to find in that mess nutrients to grow things that feed people, that shelter people, that give people hope, that clean the atmosphere and the air. That's what we're talking about doing, bringing us together to create a tomorrow that's worth living for every human, every. Mm. So no matter where they are, 
whether they're in work or they're out of work or they're an entrepreneur or they're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or somebody who's just looking after children. Somebody just wants to be in the sea and spend days fishing or just looking at nature and writing poetry. Together, it brings music and music is the one thing that crosses every dimension of language, every culture. Music has no barriers. So let's make music. That's right. That's right. You know, talking about dropping the <laughs> mic, you know, that's how, that's how we bring this to a close. So I, I want to say thank you to all of our, our, our attendees who, who stuck around and, and um, listened to the wonderful insights of our panelists and, and just say thank you to our panelists for, for stepping in, you know, to come not only just for today, but for all of you who have been harassing, hey, come on my podcast, let me interview you. You know, I thank you so much for sharing, you know, so much insights of yourself and, and putting this back out into the world in terms of being generative, because the word itself means to give life rebirth, right? To create something new. And that's the goal of generative um, leadership and generative adaptive practice. So uh, just a, a few more things before we go. It's like, we're launching a cohort in February. And, you know, cohorts are, it's, they're long running. It's going to be maybe about four to eight weeks. Um, I have a super early bird code that I'll share out for everyone who attends. Um, and and it's, it's a place for us to come and learn together and grow together and learn how to implement the generative adaptive practices, the gap, right, of, of abundance mindset, all the way to fun and joy of how do we really do that in, in real terms. So a lot of the things that we discussed here, some of these practices will be part of that um, cohort. Um, and I, I hope that you are uh, open to attending that and checking that out and share it with others. This video also, this since this was recorded, this will be shared back to the ether um, and, and shared out to the world that we had this conversation today. So with that, uh, thank you for being here. And um, any final things? I give someone like 30 seconds to give us a, a final like. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hayes. Thanks, Thank Doc. you. Yes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Nice to see everybody. Take care. Yeah, lovely to do this together. Thank you for your time. Thanks for getting us together, Dave. Yes, Welcome. it was great. I hope that you received what you needed today. Now that you have been given new insights, one of three things will happen. First, you may say, Dr. Dave, this was fabulous. I got what I needed and am ready to thrive in my leadership role. Second, this is excellent information, but I need something else. Third, I am excited about the Generative Leadership to Thrive Cohort Masterclass and need more information. If that is you, don't miss out on the Generative Leadership to Thrive Cohort Masterclass. Visit www nullshare.org to register for the February 13th, 2024 Cohort Masterclass. Get the early bird special. Use coupon code GLTT-EBS30. That is coupon code GLTT-EBS30. 
Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Knoll Share with Dr. Dave Podcast. As we wrap up, remember this. To innovate and thrive, we must be willing to experiment, evaluate, and evolve. That's the mantra of the future-focused generative leader. Thank you for tuning into The Knoll Share with Dr. Dave Podcast. Until next time, keep experimenting, learning, and leading from the center. Let's talk about it. Talk, talk, talk. Let's go deep. We all have some share. No share with Dr. Dave.